Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21, the last eight verses of chapter 3, where Paul actually prays here. Uh, we'll see in verse 14 when we get ready to read it that Paul is uh, entering into a time of prayer. He had told them previously in the, in the first 13 verses of chapter 3 what he was going, why he was praying, what he was going to be praying about. Now he actually starts praying. Um, and his overall mission for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is to try to wake believers up and help us realize what we have in Christ Jesus. Um, he talks about it extensively in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then in 3, he tries to summarize it there, and he also prays for believers. Um, it's pretty awesome to know that somebody's praying for you. Uh, I am very thankful of uh, folks that, that I know that pray for me. I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you just honestly and truly knew that they did pray for you. They did lift your name uh, to the Father in prayer. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a pretty awesome thing to know that somebody's praying for you. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul telling you that he's praying for you? Um, not that one person is greater than another, but there's some folks that you have a little more confidence in their prayers than others. Uh, but the thing about the fact that the Apostle Paul was praying for them, but I, I still believe that, that this is also him letting us know that these prayers were not just for a certain group of people at that particular time, but they were for all saints at all times. I really believe that his, I believe his worldview was so biblical and so broad that he was, he was thinking about Christians that would come along long after him. Uh, you know, so I, I believe that's true. So let's, let's read these verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at verse 14 and read to verse 21. And then we'll take and we'll just walk verse by verse and grab a few thoughts about this prayer that Paul prays. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. And you notice at the end there, his outlook, his vision is a lot further than just right there where he was at that moment with the people he was thinking about that he could visually see at that moment in the flesh, but that all generations that are to come. When he starts it, he says that he bows his knee to pray and he begins this prayer. Um, you know, it's amazing sometimes that we uh, get into traditional ruts uh, about prayer I'm not going into ex something extensive about how we pray but i just want to point this out notice the posture that he prays in he said i bow my knees in prayer he didn't say anything about bowing his head he didn't say anything about closing his eyes right but you know your prayers are not heard unless you bow your head and close your eyes right can i get a witness you, you've got to bow your heads close your eyes um so i'm thankful <laughs> i'm thankful to be uh beyond beyond that in my life um, but I just encourage you, 
Um, it feels awkward. Uh, you ever just been in a group of people and maybe pray and you're actually not looking down? Would you close eyes closed? Would you close eyes? You know, but eyes closed, and, and it, it, it feels awkward. That's how that's how tradition gets a hold of us is that we think it's wrong because it's the way we always did it. But if we evaluate why did we always do it that way, um, sometimes we find a dead end before we ever get to Scripture. And so Paul prays. There's no doubt about it. And Paul's prayer here in verse, verses 14 and 15 show us where his prayer is directed. His prayer is directed to the Father. He says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. And I think this goes without saying, but we're going to make sure that we catch every part of the Scripture as we go through as best we can. This is not just any father, right? This is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it right here in the text. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's prayer is directed to the Father, and it's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's important to Christ Jesus, that he is directing the prayer to the father of the actual one and only true father you say why is that important in the day and time we live in people pray a lot of prayers that they quote unquote pray to god but who what god i mean who is this god that you're talking to and if you're very specific that's why when we say in the name of jesus christ that we pray this prayer in the name of christ we are specifying the Godhead we're talking to. In other words, we're very, being very specific about the fact that we're praying to the triune God, the, the God uh, that is the Father of Jesus Christ, and he is the creator, the sustainer of everything that there is. And as a matter of fact, as you step a little bit further, verse 16 says, I mean, verse 15, it says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is the Father of Jesus Christ, but he's also the Father of the family of God. I mean, he is the father of the entire family of God. And so when we think about it, he is be, he's very specific in who he's praying to. You say, preacher, I, I get that. That's, that's cool. Like I say, don't ever underestimate the little things. It's the little things that make the biggest difference. And also when you're around people and you listen to things that you, you watch on TV and you watch that happen in our world and our community, watch for the little things. The little things can tell you a whole lot about somebody's belief system. Um, and it tells you more about the big things they believe than you realize. So Paul is very specific. Praise to the Father. He's, uh, it's directed to the Father. The one we're talking about is the Father that we worship and praise. Father of Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the Father of our family. So if you're saved, he is your heavenly Father today. Then Paul's prayer is not only directed to the Father it is also there to lift us up. In other words, his prayer is lifted up for us. Watch what happens in verse 16. He says that he would grant you, and we're talking about he who is the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And we'll go on through verses 8, 17, 18, and 19, but I want you to look at what we have in verse 16 to start with. Paul's prayer is lifted up for us on our behalf. Intercessory prayer. In other words, Paul is praying for somebody else. Sometimes you pray for yourself, but sometimes you pray for other people. And I, I, I believe that intercessory prayer is a great thing. I want people praying for me. I want people to pray for me that God would 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 guide me. God would give me wisdom. 
that God would strengthen me, God would have caused me even to do what Paul was trying to do for those believers there and for us to remind you that you serve a God that is limitless. And we'll get that to that in a minute, but that you understand who you are in Christ and you understand what God's trying to accomplish in your life. And so watch what happens in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So Paul is, Paul lifts, is, Paul's prayer is lifted for us and he wants us to be strengthened spiritually. That's what Paul wants for us. He wants us to be strengthened spiritually. And so you, you say, how does that happen? It happens not on the outside. It happens on the inside, in the inner man. And how does that strength come? It comes. It comes by the power of the Spirit of God that lives and dwells within us. It's the Spirit of God dwelling with us. Listen to the verse again. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. John MacArthur says it's almost like having a car, but either sometimes not even driving the car, you just have the car. Sometimes people have the car and they get in it, but all they do is drive the bare minimum that it, speed it takes to get from one place to the other, and that's all they ever do in the car. And these things start popping off in my mind. I go, I get this illustration. It's kind of like having a Maserati, right? And the only thing you ever do is sit in the seat, crank it up, and you drive the speed limit from one place to the other. Some of y'all thinking, yeah, we're supposed to speed. No, not even that. There are so many amenities within this Maserati that we miss stuff. Hey, it's got lumbar, right? It's got heated seats. It's got a backup camera, you know? It's got serious satellite radio, at least for the first 30 days without having to pay for it. Can I get a witness? Yeah. I love, I love buying used vehicles where people had the serious satellite radio stuff and their, their subscription runs for at least another 30, 90 days or so. It's real cool. But you don't realize it's got a sunroof, right? It's got traction control. It's got all kind of amenities in it. But you would never know it unless you use them. And a lot of times, Christians, that's how we live our lives. We are sitting here with, a, with, a, with this fancy sport car of Christianity, and all we ever do is to get in it and put around. Some of us don't even put around. Some of us just look at it in the garage, and we never even touch the thing. Some Christians, their greatest objective is to not speed. I want you to think about that one for a minute. I think it's a profound thing the Lord gave to me. But think about it. It's like, I didn't break the law. Lord, I don't break the law. It's like, yeah, but do you realize that even driving within the, regu the regulated speed limit, you still have all these things around you. You can drive the speed limit and still enjoy the sunroof. You can drive the speed limit and still enjoy the lumbar and the heated seats. You with me? But so often, that's not what, most of the time, what do we do? We go, oh, I just want to make sure that I don't break the big laws. And I just get back and forth from where I'm going to the next place, maybe get to church, and then I'm good. But God has all these great riches. He wants us to be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of the living God. And so Paul wants us to have spiritual strength. But he wants us to have it for a reason. He's praying, Father, please... 
by the power of the glory that you have and who you are, that you would strengthen them spiritually so that, listen, listen to what he says, uh, verse 16 and 17, I'm going to read, read them together here, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that love, but that Christ may dwell, listen, may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul says, this is why I want you to be strengthened. I want the Father to strengthen you with the, power, the, the, the full power of his glory through the Spirit in your inner man in order that you might have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. See, this is why we, we, I hammer so hard about the fact that when you come to faith in Christ, the gospel is not ask Jesus into your heart. This, that's not the gospel. Jesus does not want to come live in your dirty heart, nor mine. Come on. What does he do? What is the first thing that happens to us at salvation? After the fact, all at simultaneously, we have been forgiven. That's marked down. The spirit of the living God comes to dwell in you and begins to work in your life. And is Christ there knocking at the door? I do believe. But is Christ wanting to live in the recesses of your heart? Listen to what he says. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And this is what's going on. What's going on is that he wants to clean up the areas of your life. Christ is not at home in sin. Christ is at home in a holy place. The, that he does not live, dwell in tabernacles made by hands anymore, right? But he dwells in us. But think about where we're wanting him to live. I, I, I'd like to read something for you if I can find it right quick. I think it's worth, worth it. It is so, so cool. Let me see if I can find this right quick. Didn't, this is kind of out of my plans, but let me, uh, I know what side of the page is on. There it is right there. In his, in his booklet, My Heart, Christ Home, Robert Munger pictures the Christian life as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room. In, in the library, which is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. In the dining room of the appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. In the place of such things as prestige and materialism and lust, he puts humility, meekness, love, and all the other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes through the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities through the workshop uh, where only toys are being made into the, into the closet where hidden sins are kept and so on through the entire house. Only when he had cleaned every room, closet, and corner of sin and foolishness could he settle down and be at home. Think about that. I mean, you think about your own heart. What is he, 
What does he want to do? He wants to come and tabernacle with us. You know, he wants to come and he wants to nail down the rug. He wants to come and he wants to live at home. But where is he at in the home of your heart? Is he standing on the front porch, scared to death to step into this house of my heart and my mind? I mean, that's why Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what's he trying to do? He wants Jesus to be able to be at home in your heart. Does he want Christ at home in your heart? Sure he does. But what has to happen in my heart and in your heart before Jesus is at home in your heart? He's got to clean out. We've got to clean out. We have got to have the spirit of the living God. We have to have him working this work of renovation within us. It's almost a picture of the fact that how many of y'all are OCD? Like germaphobes? I got any of those in here maybe that would testify, whatever. I'm just going to say sometimes you might feel uneasy in certain places, certain homes, right? You go, okay, well, I'll walk in here and talk to you, but I ain't no way I'm sleeping in here. I ain't eating in this place neither, right? I remember going to San Antonio, Texas one time. Me and Christy and Shannon Faulkner and Paula Faulkner, uh, we, we did a road trip. They wanted to fly at that time. I was not flying whatsoever. I still don't know if I'm going to fly on that because God would have to make me get on that. The Guatemala things, God's got me pinned on those. But the, uh, the other, the, anything else, I'm still, you know, Honey, we can, Christy's like, she loves, she loves it. She would just get on an airplane any minute that you possibly could and fly. Not me. But anyhow, I'm like, my buddy had just, just uh, purchased a, him and his wife had just purchased a brand new minivan. I'm like, dude, if you'll put the minivan up, I'll put the driver up and I'll drive. He said, if you'll drive, he said, I don't want to drive. He said, if you'll drive, we'll go. Good deal. So we loaded all our luggage into this big giant cooler full of food and drink, and we rolled on to San Antonio, Texas to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, first and only one I've ever been to. We get to Houston, Texas to make our second night because we took an extra couple of days before and after so we could enjoy some of the trip. We get into Houston, Texas. We are dead tired, and I don't know if you've ever been to or through Houston, Texas. Dear Lord, that is a big town. I mean, we run 80 miles an hour for, it seemed like, for hours trying to get through there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are we ever going to clear this place? Got tired, pulled over, boom, we're going to get a motel room. I told him, I said, dude, I have a, I have a rule. They're going to give me a key. I'm going to go look at the room before I get the room. I'm just going to happen. So he thinks I'm crazy, you know, but I get two keys to the two rooms that we're going to get. So we go in, side-by-side rooms. I walked in, and I said, I'm in the midst of going, ain't no way I'm staying here. He's backing out of his room going like this. And I said, what's wrong? He said, man, you got to come here. We go in there, and there is this outline of something wet in the shape of a body on, on the floor in the motel room. I said, well, I was already convinced, but I know good and well now we're not staying here. But let me just say this. We was on a budget, Right? Huh? Me, Stan Houston? Yeah, I want to see Joel Osteen. That was my whole, um, no, I'm just picking. Uh, so, that was, all right, so, 
But no, I wanted to, oh, because on a budget, I wanted, I get what you're saying now. Oh, you want to stay on, in Houston, but you want to stay on a budget. Yeah, I found out quick. <laughs> so I said, you know what? If y'all, y'all, y'all just take a nap, I'll drive. Forget it. We'll just keep going. My point is, I walked in there and there was no way possible I was going to sleep there. Wouldn't no way I was sleeping there. What does Jesus think about finding residence in every area of your heart? See, here's the thing about him. He knows what's in the closet. He knows what's in the closet. He knows if when you're talking to him and, and all... He knows that you've kicked everything into the bedroom and shut the door, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, can I get a witness? Y'all ain't never, nobody's ever done that before, right? We just shut the bedroom doors, stuff, yeah. So he knows this. He knows what's in your heart. And, and he is not comfortable with sin. You with me? He, he wants to be, he wants to set up residence in a place that is holy and sacred and set apart for him. That's why it's so important that we let the power of the Holy Spirit of God do his greatest work. His greatest work is what he does in us. That's why one of the reasons I, sh- I shared it at the marriage conference was the fact that the very first thing that you need to do to have a great marriage is you need to work on you. You really and truly need to make because you can't fix nobody else right i must just be honest can i get a witness how many have been trying right i've been with this man for 47 years yeah and and 10 more i will have him whipped into shape if he don't kill me first just trying to get him into shape you know I talked about taking out the trash. It took 26 years, but I finally got it. That's my job. That is my job right there. And I'm good. I mean, I I get it. That's my job. It took me a long time, but I'm telling you, your your greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to make sure that you're right. I mean, it goes back to the same thing. If you think about it, get the log out of your own eye before you go talk to somebody else about the speck in their eye. And how do you do that? You do that. Paul wouldn't miss in the mark. Sometimes we, we want to get all of these grand schemes about how we can make this better and how we can make this better. Why don't you work on making you better? Well, why don't we work on making us better? You know, if I'm right with God, then I'll be right with every, I'll be right with everybody else. I'm good. And, and you'll find, what you'll find is, you'll be able to see other people clearer. You'll, you'll be able to see, you'll be looking through God goggles, you know. You'll be able to see other people clearer. And you'll also keep a good vision of yourself. And you'll, you'll, be, you'll be strengthened to be able to handle this stuff. When people come up, you, you, your feelings won't be on your shirt sleeve so much. You know, can't believe they said this to me. When the truth of the matter is, if you were in Christ, it wouldn't bother you so much. It really wouldn't bother you that much. Do you do realize people are people, right? The world over, people are people. Why do you expect anything? Why do you expect that a human being can't say something that would hurt you? It's, 
They may not intentionally mean to, and they, they may not be their normal practice. That's why I tell people, do not judge somebody off their last act. My, char- my character and your character is not built off of one decision. It is built off of a lifetime. And so when you look at somebody and they make a decision, they, they do something and it's like out of character for them, do not judge their entire life because of that one decision. You have to have the Christ-likeness to look at them and go, that's really not who they are. Were they having a bad day or what was, you know, something going on? There's pressures, maybe something happened in the family. And the reason I bring all that out is because I believe that's why Paul is pressuring this. I believe Paul is saying, you know what, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would be strengthened spiritually in the inner man. You do know the outside's perishing, right? Amen? The outside is perishing. This is going to fade away. But we spend a lot of times more time on this than we do on this. We, we worry about dressing all this up and making all this look right, making sure our hair is right, making sure, you know, makeup, making sure the glasses are the right glasses and making sure, you know what I mean? Making sure, and then sometimes it's health. And I ain't got nothing against working out, you know, and people doing the healthy eating and all that stuff. That's not, But see, think of how much time in society we spend on the outside, the external. Satisfying our, ex, our, our bodies, and how much time do we spend on working on the inner man? And the inner man's where it's happening. I mean, Paul says, I pray that he strengthens you in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's where it gets into the interesting thing. See, it's going to take faith for you to let him in the closet. It's going to take faith for you to let him in there and do his work. Right? Right? You're going you're gonna to open up and say, hey, God, it's yours. Come on in. What we want to do is we want to, oh, I tell you what, before you come in, let me just clean it all up. You ever heard that you can't clean up and come to God? That that's actually what he does? It is what he does. Because we will superficially clean. He cleans a deep clean. He cleans intentionally because I know good and well for us, we won't do what he would do if he had control. But we don't want him to have control because we know that we don't want to let go of the things that he wants to take take and pull. And I say take away, he wants us to let go of and give him control of. Do you know that a lot of things he'll give you back if you would just let go of them one time and give them to him? And it's in that letting go of it that that the the control it has over you gets torn. I've said a lot of times my testimony about stuff like vehicles and that kind of those kind of things that those were things I struggled with. I, I had obsessions with vehicles. Thankfully, I didn't have obsessions with very fancy vehicles. I just had obsession an obsession with things like that and it would float from one thing to another but but most of the time it was some type of vehicle and now 
by the grace of God, he has so many times over the course of my Christian life burdened me in the inner man to just let him have them. That I now they don't have me. The, 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 they don't, they're not pulling on me like they were. They, they, didn't have, they don't have the control over me. You know, I mean, they're, I'm supposed to go pick up my Yukon 200 and, right at 240,000 miles, send it down, let a buddy of mine work over a couple of things, bringing it back home, go make a decision about what I'm selling. I don't care about it. But it's not bragging on me. God did that work by cleaning out a room in my house. God did that work by cleaning out a place in my heart that, that I didn't want him to have. And I had to give him that. And it's hard, I'm telling you. Some people have trouble. You, you, have, you don't want God to have the closet of anger because that's your identity. If I can't have my stick and swing it, then I don't have an identity. And we won't admit that to ourselves, but isn't it the truth? And if God takes something away from you that you cherish so much, you feel like you're going to have your identity stripped, but the truth is he wants your identity to be in Christ. He wants, he wants to be your identity. That everything that you are and could hope to be would be in Jesus Christ. And the way that happens is that the Spirit of God gets to work on the inner man in you so that Christ goes, now this is a wonderful place right here that I will stay and feel right at home. That's a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, to think of some of us, I tell you what, here's another hard thing that God's working on right now in my life to get, give up the identity of my life that I have trade skills and I'm not I just but I I've got a lot of trade skills I've been around a lot of people that know how to do a lot of things and I've picked up a lot of stuff my daddy was a cabinet maker at one time woodworking been around it plenty I used to straighten nails out so that they could rebuild stuff and not spend money on not the cabinet work that was other work the cabinet work was a little bit more finesse than that but, but I, I, I've, I've been, I was, at the time I was fixing to turn 15 years old, I spent my first four and a half years in a machine shop. Well, I was in, I had been through two years of vocational, but with a man who trained up under a Hungarian toolmaker for four and a half years. Working with him 40 hours a week while I was in high school. By the time I got out of high school, I knew more about tool and die work than the guys that was leaving to go to technical colleges knew. As a matter of fact, when I graduated high school, I, and I'm not bragging on me, I'm just trying to, I'm gonna, I want you to listen. God had to, he is doing a work in my life, and it takes a while. I mean, God could strip everything out of my, my heart, and yours too, but I was their boss. When they went to technical school, I was hiring them out of technical school to work up under me. Then I got to be around electricians and electronics and all that other stuff. I've forgotten more than I ever than I even know at this moment. I've forgotten. 
But now God's going, I want you to let go of that stuff. And I go, God, how am I going to brag in front of the guys? You know, because that's my identity is that I can say that I can do this and I can do that. But God, every day that I don't do it, it seems like it's stripping me of who I am. And God's going, it's exactly what I'm trying to do. Have you not caught on yet? I don't want you to have your identity in you. I want you to have your identity in me. And you know what's so crazy? Everybody sings these songs that he is the one who, that in other words, uh, what's the, I've asked this before, what's the, what's the songs that you sing about um, who you say I am? There's some other songs out there that, in other words, are saying that, you know, you don't define me, God defines me. Yeah, but the problem is, it's not the people out there trying to define you. The problem we have is us defining us. That's why I say you, you can get so caught up in the fluff of this worship stuff, but never let God do the surgery in your heart that he wants to do. Don't you tell me who I am. God tells me who I am. Yeah, exactly right. God says that you're a sinner in need of the amazing grace of God. And that if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. And then he wants to work on you. And what's amazing is when God gives you those things back, the ones he will let you have back, then you get to have those things in the freedom of the Spirit of God because they don't define you anymore. And isn't this, isn't this sad when you think about it? Isn't it truly sad that our identity a lot of times is in our flesh? Instead of letting our identity be in Christ, and then Christ gives all good gifts to us. Um, to be strengthened spiritually, as Paul lifting for us in prayer, to, we be strengthened spiritually that we make room for Christ so that we might know the love of God. So that we might know the love of God. Look, look at verse, I'm going to read verse 17, 18, and 19. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you might know the love of God. Simply, I think it's like this. When you start letting God work on your inner man spiritually through the spirit, power of the Spirit of God, and you start making room for Christ in your heart by faith, right? You're trusting God. Here I, here's, here's my heart. Take it, Lord, right? And you say, you give it to him, and then at that point, you find out just how much he truly does love you. Isn't that what happens that's supposed to happen at marriage? Think, I'm giving you my heart today. Take care of it, right? Now, a lot of times it gets abused. 
trust gets broken and all that stuff, right? But that's what we're longing for is that relationship where we can take and say, here's my heart. I'm giving it to you, God, because I trust you. We've been conditioned to not do that because everybody that we have had around us at some point in time in some way has transgressed us and broke our hearts. And so we're reluctant to give our hearts and our, to somebody for them to take care of. But here's the cool thing about God. He'll never do you wrong. He's the one person that will never do you wrong. And so when we invest everything we have in him, we, we receive so much in return, and it's the love of God. And that's what he wants you to know. The length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Isn't it Romans 8? Isn't that right? Let me, let me, uh, let me go over there. I think that would be very fitting because we're going to close out pretty quick with this. Uh, yeah, verse 35. Well, as a matter of fact, let's go 34. Romans 8, 34, he says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall, se- se- who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the only way you get there is cleaning the house out and, let, and, and realizing what that love truly is and how it's, how it's like. So <clears throat> then Paul finishes off. So he he directs a prayer to the Father, the one and only Father. He, he lifts it for us so that we might be strengthened spiritually, so that we would make room for Christ through faith, and that out of that we would know the love of God. And then Paul's prayer is declaring God's ability. In other words, we're not just praying this to anybody. In other words, I've named him, but let me tell you a little bit about this God in the end. It's like a doxology. It's Closing out with this glorious praise for this one. Verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul, Paul in his prayer, is declaring God's ability. And his ability is without limits. His ability is completely without limits. There are no limits to God's abilities. You know, we, we, we say all this stuff a lot of times, but do you truly believe it? That there is... Nothing impossible for my God. Nothing at all. Why? Because he has limitless abilities. He is, listen to what he says, now to him who is able, abilities, able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. And that's the other thing he's declaring about God's ability is that it's working in us. You go back to Ephesians chapter 1, as a matter of fact, if we, if we were to read it, Ephesians chapter 1, it goes like this. 
um, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, right? Same stuff. This is Paul recapping in a prayer. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. So the same power in Christ Jesus working in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the, that's the power in us, the dunamis power. That he says there, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Dynamis, where we get our word dynamite from, right? You know, a stick of dynamite ain't worth nothing unless you light it. So many of us walk around with sticks of dynamite. God-given, God-driven, God-supported, God-enabled power. And it ain't worth a thing unless you light the fuse. It's potential power. Y'all remember that in physical science? Potential energy. Then you got kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is what? Energy that is actually in motion doing something. Potential, I could punch Rusty. Kinetic, I reach over here and tag him one time. Responsibility is what comes afterwards, right? <laughs> but there's a difference. It's the, whole, it's the whole thing of driving the car again. There's all that potential there, right? But none of it's Kinetic. None of it's actually put to use. For us who believe according to the working, that's the word energia, where we get our word energy from, once again, all of these words I'm telling you about this power, they're all nouns. None of them are actually doing something. They have the potential to do something, but you and I have to unleash the power. And contrary to popular belief, let me tell you the... Let me tell you the clue, and I'm preaching to myself at this moment. Power comes at a price, and the price is holiness. I mean, that, 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 that's it. This, this, this power, this, he comes over here and he says that the working, that word energia, the, the power of his mighty power, mighty, eskis, is the ability that's endowed, Power is kratos. It means dominion. It's in his dominion. It's the, uh, the potential, that uh, endowed power or ability within us. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And you go back over here and he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. That power. We will not pay the power. I mean, pay the price for power. The price for power is holiness. And that's all Paul's talking about here. Is that we would let Christ work in us. You can pray all the prayers you want to and sing all the worship songs you want to and cry all the tears you want to, jump up and down, hoot and holler, wave your hands, say amen, come to church as many times as you want to, do all that stuff you want to. I'll promise this right now. You will not shake the foundation of hell with that. The only thing that's going to shake the very foundation of hell itself is the power of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what people talk about, about anointing. It's not your abilities. It's Christ's ability working in you and through you. And that's, 
That's why the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's not the strength of the man. It's the righteousness that the man lives in that allows the power of God to be unleashed. And we've got away from holiness. We have. We've got away from it because it is such an inconvenience in the modern life. You know, I'm not trying to be a stickler and beat people up about church attendance, but come on, if you don't want to be around the family of God, something's wrong with you. You know, if you don't think it's important for you to worship him in corporate worship, something's wrong with you. If you don't want to read his Bible, something's wrong with you. If you rob God through tithes and offerings, something's wrong with you. There is a power, a price for power and his holiness. And I ain't talking about being some hypocritical uh, Pharisee with religion. I'm talking about honest, good, genuine, sure enough holiness. I had one grandma that was a Baptist, one grandma that was Pentecostal. But you'd strip away both of them tags off of them, I can tell you right now, they lived holy. And they had power. They had power. I was told at 11, they were told, told them at 11 months old that if I lived to see another day, that I'd be scarred beyond belief for the rest of my life because I pulled a percolator coffee pot over on, off of the countertop onto me, didn't have nothing but a diaper on. Second degree burns over 80% of my body and some third degree burns, most of them right through here. Got one scar on my body and it's right there and you can barely see it. And I think God left it just for a reminder of how good he is. But see, when they told them that, they said, you know, we're going to go talk to somebody else and get a second opinion. And them two little ladies went and talked to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of the family of God. There's a price for power. but There's a God that's got a storehouse of power he'll never run out of. I think one of the great, great reasons we don't see God work as much as we could see God work is just because of our heart conditions. Um, he's declaring God's ability is without limits. It's working in us. Its potential could be kinetic, and it's worthy of all glory. And that's where we'll simply finish. Let me read verses 20 and 21. And in 21, you'll see that now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He deserves all the glory. Every single bit of it. Um, Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you so much.